Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Cardboard Herald, my chance to talk with creative gamers and game creators. And now joining me all the way from the UK, I have Tom Young of Nomad Games. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Jack. Yeah, well, you guys have just released the digital adaptation of Fury of Dracula. What's the response been so far? Uh, yeah, the response has been really good. Like, it's our most successful launch in the history of Nomad so far, which has been amazing. Like, we've released quite a few games over the last six years, and you know, we were hoping that Fury of Dracula would do well, Like, but it's surpassed our expectations. The response has been amazing. And do you think that some of that has to do with just the kind of legendary status Fury of Dracula holds, or maybe that has to do with quarantine, or maybe there's just a, a bit of prestige that Nomad Games has developed up until this point? I mean, I guess I'm putting words in your mouth. What do you think is <laughs> contributing to the, the successful rollout? Uh, I think it's probably a combination of all those three factors and then a couple of extra ones. Uh, I think definitely the board game like renaissance that we're in at the moment like board games just seem to be exploding in popularity you have mm -hmm. all of these board game cafes popping up all over the place like i can see right now you've got a huge stack of board games right behind you over there <laughs> yeah like every other person doing video reviews on the internet i have a wall of board games you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah like board games are just having an explosion in popularity and i think that when you combine that with obviously the fact that we're in a pandemic, like it's you can't just get your friends around at the moment and all play a board game. Um, I think digital board games are sort of filling in that gap at the moment, um, which is obviously really nice for us because we specialize in taking board games from the tabletop to the desktop. Well, you mentioned that you, the, the, the company, you guys have released several games over the last six years. Now, mm -hmm. how long have you been at Nomad? Uh, so I've been there just over a year now. I think it's coming up on one year, six months, uh, something like that. So been there long enough to see Fury of Dracula from start to release. Um, but yeah, I've been there long enough to get to grips with what the company's all about. It's a really nice company. Like I've never worked for somewhere where we've had such a small team. There's only about 20 of us total, um, but it's really, really nice. All based there in the UK? Yep, we are all based in this tiny little office in the British countryside with nothing else around it. Like, it's a pub <laughs> across the road, that's about it. <laughs> hey, that's kind of a ideal bunker situation right now. But that, that's cool that you mentioned that you have been around to see the inception of this digital version of Fury of Dracula because that's one of the things that's most interesting to me because this game has had such a, a legendary status in the tabletop gaming community for years now. I mean, the, the original version came out ages ago. It might as well be an ancient board game by modern terms. And then, of course, you had the initial Fantasy Flight release of 2nd Edition, and then you had the um, much-anticipated 3rd Edition after all sorts of licensing issues mm -hmm. between Fantasy Flight and Games Workshop, and then now it's with WizKids as far as the, the physical product how did your company get involved in the digital version of this something that has had so much licensing red tape on it throughout the history of the physical product 
Honestly, I think that's primarily down to how good of a relationship we have with the folks at Games Workshop. Because our first title at Nomad was Talisman, um, which is an, another old Games Workshop property. Uh, and over the years, they've been really happy with what we've done with Talisman. Like We already had a pretty good relationship with them before taking on Talisman, and that just solidified it even further. So when we were looking at, okay, like we finished uh, Mystic Veil, which is the game that we worked on before Fury of Dracula, we're now looking at, what other board game do we want to take? Uh, Games Workshop, we talked to them, and they were like, look, we've got Fury of Dracula. We trust you. We're more than happy for you to work on this. And then it was just a bit of back and forth to work out exactly how that would work. Um, but at the end of the day, throughout the whole process, we've been talking to them, uh, getting feedback from them, making sure that whatever we're doing is fine with them, because we know what they want. And I think that's what they understood going into the process because they know that we've talked through so much talisman stuff with them they're like okay no our games you know what we need and what we want to review what we don't want to review the process is going to be fairly smooth i think we can trust you with this man that's that's fascinating i could spend all day talking about the <laughs> the opaque nature of games workshop i mean they they have a mythic status of their own as a company i mean they they've been mm -hmm. so foundational in so many aspects of this hobby but in a lot of ways they they are not nearly as accessible as many of the other modern tabletop gaming giants that are, have kind of transcended in the the last uh, several years i mean it, honestly i think it does help actually uh, with us being in the uk because I know that we've had multiple trips to their offices here in the UK. And if you're a Warhammer fan, like the displays and stuff that they have on them, it's just, oh, it's just insane. <laughs> <laughs> they have to check your painting skills before they even let you get mm -hmm. in the door. So with the adaptation itself, you know, the, there are so many different levels of interpreting a physical board game into a digital form. You know, mm -hmm. you can have something that's really straightforward to something that is essentially like a full-fledged video game in and of itself. What were some of the goalposts that Nomad had in developing this, you know, as far as what you wanted the, the final product to really feel like it yeah i mean for us the key thing that we identified really early on is that what players cared about most when it came to an adaptation of fury of dracula was it being a one-to-one -one recreation of the board game mm -hmm. like they were fine with us doing all these other things but the main thing that they cared about was i want the board game that i know I want that to be exactly recreated um, digitally. So we knew that's what we had to hone in on. Um, we could add things like, obviously you don't have a soundtrack when you're playing a physical board game. Right. So we can do that whatever we want. But in terms of the actual like core game itself, we knew that that was almost like holy ground for Fury of Dracula fans. Like we couldn't say, oh, well, because this is the digital version, we've decided to do things slightly differently. They didn't want that. They wanted Fury of Dracula, and that's what we worked to get them. And how successfully do you think that that panned out for the initial rollout? I think that's panned out quite well. 
Um, I think the main thing that people have um, brought up uh, during the launch is the fact that unfortunately we couldn't launch with full 1v4 online multiplayer. Mm -hmm. That's been a real sticking point for players. And we totally understand that because at the end of the day, Fury of Dracula is a game that's meant to be played one versus four, right? Right, like, right. That's Fury of Dracula. But unfortunately, because we've got such a small team, it was a case of deciding, well, do we put this game back for however long it's going to take to properly do 1v4 multiplayer right when everything else is already finished? Um, so we've been very clear with the community uh, explaining, look, we know this is what you expect from Fury of Dracula. It's not quite there, but it is going to be. So anytime we've picked up on something like that, um, we've identified it and gone, okay, this is something that's going to cause people to ask why. Let's get ahead of that and give them the answer as soon as possible. Well, I think that's one of the things that is most alluring about digital adaptations of board games is that you can kind of work around some of the ideal circumstances that you would be playing the tabletop game itself. Like for me, I know one of the criticisms that I have of Fury of Dracula is that it's a game where I feel like it needs to have the four hero players versus Dracula, not because you need the group dynamic, which is great, but because mm -hmm. you are inherently... Uh, I guess, taking care of four different party members. And that becomes more cumbersome when you're doing it on a physical tabletop and you have different locations, you have different hands of cards and different equipment in order to um, uh, manage with each of them. And in a digital platform, that's not nearly as difficult to manage. You can have the conveniences of cyberspace to take care yeah, of everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can click on the different character portraits as you're playing and be like, oh, okay, I can see these are the items that these hunters have. Um, you can click on Dracula and see, okay, I can see at a glance how many cards Dracula has, like, the influence tracker is always there. Um, you can look at the board. You can, like, we've designed the UI so that you've always got the trail on the top. You've always got the most relevant information at the bottom. Um, it's a lot easier to see at a glance what's happening. Because, like you said, when you've got the actual physical board game, like, sure, you, there's something that you'll never be able to recreate when you're playing digitally, right? Because right having all those different pieces, having cards, like it adds something that we know that we can't recreate, but we're not trying to recreate that part of it. We're trying to offer like an easier experience. We're trying to say, okay, well, sure, that adds something, but it's also kind of a bit of faff. Like if we can take that away, that's a benefit to the end user. Well, speaking of user interface, you know, one of the things about tabletop games is if you need some sort of convenience for the player, you just, you know, make a physical product to take care of that. There's mm -hmm. a lot of elegance and, you know, considerations in the design and development of, you know, that physical UI. But what are some of the things that need to be taken into consideration from a digital perspective that the layman, you know, such as myself, who primarily plays tabletop games, doesn't know a lick about design and development of anything digital? You know, what are what are some of the particularly challenging things about 
translating this this physical game into a digital version especially with fury of dracula this is something that came up a lot was conveying when cards are revealed mm-hmm. and when they're not revealed so there's certain cards that only get revealed once and there's certain cards that um will stay revealed for a certain amount of time Totally. And say you're sitting there and you're playing the physical game against uh, your mate Steve, who's playing Dracula, and he shows you one particular card, and in the game rules, he's only meant to show you that at that particular time, right? And that's fine. Uh, and then it gets like two minutes past, and you're like, "Hang on, what was that card that you showed me?" He can just go, "Oh, I realize you've forgotten. Here's the card that I showed you." that's totally fine. Digital version, that goes against the rules. <laughs> Not allowed to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so making sure that that information is clearly conveyed and also trying to account for you know, how long should the player be able to see this in order to make sure that they are aware of the impact that it will have on the game. Because it's a real feel-bad moment for the player when they go, oh, if only I'd remembered he'd revealed that card two turns ago i would have done something completely differently this introduces a whole new layer that i never even considered and that's like you can take screenshots of things when playing a digital version is that Mm -hmm. you know betraying the trust of the table you know like you have (laughs) games like say small world where all money exchanges are done uh, above board everyone can see how much money that you're generating but then you flip it face down so you can't just ask someone how much money do you currently have if you had been mm-hmm. counting throughout the game then okay well you know you can know exactly what they had but you get into much grayer territory when you uh start jotting down notes like if i held up a notebook and i was like okay so here i've been keeping track of every single dollar that you've been spending (laughs) that gets a little bit dubious in the eyes of your fellow players and you know digital versions sure you're not specifically cheating or anything but you could be you know taking screenshots to to capture that information for later yeah. There's whole other considerations I'd never even thought of. Yeah, I mean, a part of that is, like, we have discussions internally when there's issues that come up in terms of, okay, how are we going to translate this digitally? Because we need to keep, for us, it's keeping, if we can't keep it 100% as it is in the physical game, we step back and go, okay, what's the spirit of the mechanic? What's the game trying to convey here? And I think that there's certain things that come up digitally that you have to hand off to the player. Say, look, if you're playing a five-player local game of Fury of Dracula, you're all going off the same screen. There's not really any way around that. We're going to have to trust you. And if the Dracula player can't be trusted there's only so much we can do as digital developers to right. be like, like we can't force the Dracula player out of the room, right? <laughs> we, we can't say the Dracula player needs to leave the room, but there's ways that we can make it so that during different players' turns, they're only shown enough information to be able to take their turn. They're not necessarily shown information that will be relevant to other players because it's not relevant 
relevant for them at that time. And then we go, okay, well, what's the worst case scenario if the Dracula player is suddenly like, oh, hang on, I need to turn around and have a look at the screen for some random reason. (laughs) (laughs) Break out into a separate Discord channel and then you just have your chat there. Mm -hmm. You mentioned music earlier that you have a little bit of leeway in how you interpret that. What was Nomad's approach to commissioning music for this? Do you guys have internal musicians, you know, digital musicians who are putting this together? Do you contract someone? Do you have like people that you go to for all your games? I know nothing about this. (laughs) (laughs) So we have one person who does all our music uh, called Dan, who's internal. Uh, so he does all the music for us as a company. Uh, so he, the only person making all of our music, which is quite a lot of boost. Like that's quite a big job to fill. But luckily for us, he does a really good job because he has got loads of experience. Like I think he studied music theory at university, and um, and anytime we come to him with a new game, like it's part of the process. Like, if we start developing developing a new digital board game, okay, well, we'll bring the board game to Dan, show him what the game's like, and then he'll go off and look at themes, look at um, what the game's trying to capture. So, for example, with Fury of Dracula, he looked at a lot of, obviously, Hammer Horror, because it's an old Dracula board game. Like, if you're tapping into a old feeling horror hammer horror is where you want to be but he also looked at a lot of sherlock holmes media right right. because it's the, it's the victorian times it's a mystery like when you start combining those different themes you can start properly crafting something that fits the game entirely like said, that's all dan's wheelhouse like he composes it he plays it out on piano first i know so that he can come up with like a rough theme for the game and then obviously adds more layers uh, properly composes it it's a very long process um but we think that by the time that whole process is completed we then end up with something that really really fits the game like for fury of dracula we're offering the soundtrack as a separate purchase on steam that you can grab completely separately because we know for a fact that with our previous board games, people have taken our digital soundtracks and then used them while they're playing the physical game because they're like, well, this is literally designed to go with this board game. Right. Like, if we want some soundtrack, if you want some backing track for our game night, you literally couldn't get anything better. <laughs> well, talk to me when you get it pressed on vinyl. You know, that's the hit thing for all these... <laughs> These different indie video game, you know, companies to do. I still want the uh, Sonic Adventure Two vinyl. That's yeah. my that's my top tier <laughs> because I'm just like, oh, it's so cheesy, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, it works so well for board games. I mean, I can't tell you the number of games that have been perfectly suited by the Hollow Knight soundtrack. Having it right mm-hmm. behind my my gaming table works awesome. Now. But- what about market research or, you know, just kind of observing other games that are being done by other companies? Like, how much do you pay attention 
to you know other releases for example root direwolf just uh released mm-hmm. the the root adaptation i got grilled in my review because i used adaption instead of adaptation <laughs> and, and you know by far most people uh were were really pleased with the review but the only negative response i got was how dare you say adaption i was like <laughs> I review board games, not English. Come on, yeah. man. Um, yeah. But uh, how much do you pay attention to other games that are coming out in this landscape? Do you, as a company, you know, play these games and say, you know, can we take into account some of the innovations that they've done? How much do you care about competition? Uh, we care about it a lot because at the end of the day, like, there's only so much that we can do with such a small team. If we see a brilliant idea that someone else is doing, we're more than happy to say, okay, that's an amazing idea that it would have taken ages for us to come up with. Right. Let's just see what we can do with that idea for our game. Like, I can tell you that when we were working out, for example, how much Fury of Tractor should cost, like, you can't just pluck that out of the air. You need to look at, okay, what are our competitors charging? What kind of features do they have? What kind of features are they missing? Like, how much is the physical game? Because that's something that you've got to factor in as well. Because if you have a very, very expensive physical game, and then you can offer at a lower price point the digital version, that's going to be really attractive for a lot of people. For example, with Gloomhaven. Like, if you look at how much a physical copy of Gloomhaven costs, <laughs> and you're like, oh, I can get the digital version for this much. Right. That's like a fifth of what the physical version costs. Sure. Like a lot of people view it as a way to try before you buy as well. Like we're more than happy to market Fury of Dracula as a, look, you haven't got your hands on Fury of Dracula yet? Give the digital version a go before you commit to buying the full physical box. And we know that a lot of our competitors also do that like we're well we don't do it so much now because obviously we're not all in the office um, but we would regularly have uh, board game days in the nomad office where obviously we're a company that makes digital board games chances are a lot of people that work for us have shelves similar to what you've got in the background there <laughs> so we would regularly have days where we'd say okay we haven't played some board games for a while. Bring in some board games that you haven't played yet. And we'd all sit down and we'd have multiple games going on at the same time because then we can see what is currently big in board games. We can see mm-hmm. what mechanics work. We can start thinking about, oh, how would we do this digitally? Like, if we play a really interesting game, we can look at it and say, oh, actually, that would really work well digitally. Or we might look at it and say, that would be an absolute nightmare and it's just not worth doing in the slightest. Like we see quite a few games um, where it's a great physical game, but it's been made into a digital adaptation and it just doesn't work because they haven't taken into account what you lose when you're doing digital version. And that's something that we can learn from as well because there's loads of games out there that do amazing things and games that don't quite hit the mark. But in some ways, those games that don't quite hit the mark are more valuable to us than 
the runaway successes like Root and Wingspan. I was looking at the reviews on the Steam page for Fury of Dracula, and one thing that popped out to me was someone was saying that this was a great way of learning the game. They had a physical copy of Fury of Dracula, and they're like, man, this is a daunting thing, and actually playing this kind of answered some of my questions about how to play this game. Have you talked with maybe Games Workshop or WizKids uh, about how this could be used essentially as a, a tutorial for people who are purchasing the physical version of the game. I mean, I don't know if that's really been done yet uh, where you could, say, get a price break on the uh, digital version if you have some sort of proof of purchase of the, the physical version or maybe if you buy directly from the publisher, you can, you know, buy it as a bundle. Hey, we're mm -hmm. going to send you the physical copy and then instead of $15 or $20, you can get this for $10 or $5 as an add-on and use it truly as a tutorial because there's a lot of heavyweight games like Fury of Dracula, Root, uh, Gloomhaven, which we were mentioning, where it is a ton of information to take in if you're reading some archaic tome uh, in order to yeah. figure out how to play. And for some people... Just watching someone like doing a, a watch it played YouTube video isn't going to quite cut it either. Getting in there and actually utilizing the the tutorialization that has become so prevalent in video games is a fantastic way of teaching some of these really in-depth concepts. Is that something that you guys have really taken into consideration with this game or possibly for others? Yeah, 100%. Like just to talk about uh, Games Workshop for a second, the tutorial was actually one of the things that they really, really kept a close eye on because they were really keen for us to have a solid tutorial that would teach people how to play. That was one of their like major things. They were like, okay, well, you know, we're fine if um, you take some liberties with this, but we want to keep a close eye on the tutorial because we want that to be spawned because they know that it's a complicated game. And they know that they want people to be able to, like you say, use the digital version as a tutorial, then go on to purchase the physical game. And something that we really take into account with tutorials is what we found through looking at other video games, not necessarily just digital adaptations, other video games in general, is that there tends to be two kinds of tutorials. There's the tutorial where the game is telling you what to do and there's a tutorial where the game is asking you to do things and they serve vastly different purposes but for us we find that the kind of tutorial that works for digital board games is where it's asking you to do things because a lot of board games are repeated motions a lot of the time like once you know how to move that's something that you're going to be doing a lot so actually asking the player to make those movements, to make those choices, explaining why they'd want to do that at that particular point, and then what, letting them watch it play out, we find that so works so much better than just, here's how the game works. Read this, listen to this. Once you've finished, you'll know how the game works. Because a lot of board games, especially digital board games, have a lot of features that play into each other. 
So you have, for example, in Fury of Dracula, when you mature a vampire, that increases your influence. And you're like, okay, why would I want to do that? And then you go, okay, well, adding to your influence increases your influence tracker. It's like, oh, okay, why would I want to do that? So, well, <laughs> if you get 13, then you win the game. Okay, that makes more sense. But unless you can see those connections happening in the game, it just doesn't register. Like, the player goes, why would I want to do that? Like, I'm assuming you've played plenty of resource-heavy games where you're like, oh, I've got 10 wood. What can I do with 10 wood? I can use 10 wood to get five houses. Why would I want to do that? Well, because once you get five houses, you can make a town. Why would I want to do that? And it takes so long to see that entire loop that by the time you come back around again, it's like, well, I've kind of lost that. And I think having a tutorial that forces the player to go through those actions means that even if they can't see the entire picture, they can still understand the kind of reaction the game will have to them doing certain things, which I think is more than enough to... Like, we want to equip them so that when we throw them out the nest, they can fly. We don't want them to fall. <laughs> <laughs> our poor baby birds. Exactly, our board game birds. If you could take on for Nomad Games any board game, regardless of licensing issues, regardless of the complexity in actually making it become something somewhat usable to the user at the end, if there's any game that you could take on as a project, what would it be? I think it would probably be the new Star Wars Talisman that they've just come out with, because Talisman is our bread and butter. We know that from top to bottom. So for us, it would be really cool to just be like, oh, okay, well, you know, we know how to do this. Let's let's smash this out of the park. Let's make it as cool as possible. And then I'd get to work on Star Wars. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh man, now we get to put in, you know, some Wookiees over here. We're going to have some Jawas over here and Mandalorian's yep. hot right now. So we're going to, mm -hmm. of course, have some Baby Yoda. You could go all over the place with that. So. Every time I start thinking about that, like some in some dark corner, like this mouse-shaped shadow just starts appearing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, please, no. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, I have to ask the question before I let you go. Furia Dracula is now available on Steam for mm -hmm. PC. Is this something that's going to come to mobile? Is this going to come to Mac? I mean, there's a lot of audience out there. This is a, a growing market, and people really want digital board games right now. So are you going to get it to them? So mobile, absolutely. I can tell you that the mobile port is already in the works. Uh, we've already made great progress. I was talking to one of our directors the other day, uh, and he was like, I don't see why you can't put the mobile version out right now. And obviously you can't put it out right now <laughs> yeah, because yeah. that's that's when our uh hey, slow down, slow, slow down, boss. Programmer chimes in and goes, No 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 no, please, please no. Like we need to do so much more. But from like a user point of view, right. it works, which is the main thing. We just need to do quite a lot of work on the back end to get everything running. When it comes to Mac 
I can tell you now, as the person that keeps an eye on social medias, keeps an eye on Reddit, our Discord, we have seen quite a good demand for a Mac version. And we're only a very small company. Like, like I said, there's only about 20 of us. So we can have a look at how much, like, it's all about how much effort versus how much we're going to get out of it at the end of it. Like, that's the hard business side of it. And if we can look at it and say, okay, well, it'll take this many months to make a Mac version. How much money do we expect to make from a Mac version? And if that math works out, that's the Mac version. Like, we'll start working on it. So at the moment, we're mainly just, like, we released the game four days ago now, and it's still absolutely manic. Like, <laughs> every single day for me is running around with my head on fire. <laughs> but once that starts to calm down, we can definitely have a proper in-depth look at how much demand there actually is for a Mac version, how well it would do, because obviously we can see what the install base is like, we can see what the pickup rate for the PC version was based on Steam wish lists, all that kind of information. And if the math if the math works out. Mac version's happening. Well, I'm so glad that you guys are doing the work, you're doing the research. I think that digital board games are just going to grow and grow. Even once we're on the other side of a global pandemic, I think just having more options to play and more reasons to play these, whether they are the Try Before You Buy, the tutorialization, mm -hmm. whatever it is, I, I'm so glad that you and your team are working on this. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you, Tom, and I look forward to, you know, uh, uh, I guess Star Wars Talisman down the road when we can talk again. <laughs> please, please. Just as long as that mouse stops haunting my dreams, we can do it. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Tom. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this video, we have all kinds of other reviews, interviews, and recommendations via writing, podcasts, and video here on our channel and website, CardboardHerald.com. Our content is audience-supported, so if you want to show your support, please visit our Patreon. Thank you so much for watching. This has been the Cardboard Herald.